Thank you, Elder. Good evening, everyone. Great to be here with you tonight. Another wonderful day. Hope you had a great day at camp meeting. Uh, I sure did. How about that evangelism testimony a few moments ago? Wasn't that special? Not only was it fabulously made, but what a story. What a, what a life-changing testimony. I hope you're encouraged by that. Uh, it is written, began in 1956, because of evangelism or for evangelism. is the whole reason that the ministry came into existence. And uh, today, everything we do is focused around evangelism, and we are encouraged by that. Just a couple of things I want to tell you. I'm holding up two fingers, but there are ab- actually three. But, but I know that if I have three things to tell you, you're going to look at your watch. If I say there are two things to tell you, this will just take a moment. You won't even check the time. I have two things to tell you. Uh, one is that if you're interested in evangelism training or you know somebody who is, if there's a young person in your church, uh, irrespective of the age of that young person, uh, just three hours from here is... Is, is I want to say the premier evangelism training institute, but I don't want to sound immodest. Uh, but it's the premier evangelism training institute in North America. The faculty are outstanding. People who have been there and done that. Returned missionaries, uh, former administrators, PhDs, evangelists. Uh, they even let me dabble with some of the training. Uh, some of my staff at It Is Written, Wes Peppers, uh, Eric Flickens, they have years of experience not only in evangelism, but in evangelism training. It's transformative. And so typically we have teenagers all the way through to teenagers in their 60s or maybe their 70s, and it is outstanding. If you would like to be part of SALT, let us know. Contact us at It Is Written and find out more. If you'd like us to come to you, we may be able to do that. We do something called Road SALT, and Road SALT is great. We take SALT on the road. And so we could come to your church or your district or your conference. Uh, Then there's Summer SALT where we do a, a... a uh, what would you call it a salt intensive and we're working on saltines Uh, that's salt for young people Uh, salt is really making an impact and I've seen several salt graduates here this weekend and that's outstanding another thing this is uh, number two of uh, two points I want to tell you and this is that uh, I just heard from somebody texted me sent me a photograph look what we got in the mail Uh, did you send this or did someone else send this we have and a simple and inexpensive soul-winning device. It's called a mega mailer. Now, you've heard of these. You mail out Bible study interest cards into your community and then wait for people to send back the responses. So what happens is you send them out. They come back to us. Then we send them to you. And we don't, we don't want to study by correspondence with the people living two blocks away from your church. We want you to get to know them and go to their door, and then when they get to the testing truths, they know somebody, a friendly face. You can sit down and, and, and answer their questions and so forth. Grab a hold of the mega mailers. We've mailed out, look, I don't know, a million, two million, I don't know how many of these, and we get back an average of right around 10 per thousand. Ordinarily, you mail them out, you're happy to get back one per thousand. That's good. Two per thousand is great. My pastor friend said, Three per thousand, he said, he put his hands in there, he said, that's just Pentecostal. Well, I don't know what, is it, what it is when we get back 10 per thousand. We had a little church, <laughs> a little church of 30 people, they mailed out, uh, was it 12,000 of these and got back 144? And uh, 30 people going to church, they didn't know what they were going to do. 
One dear lady living in, I shouldn't say the state, because she spoke to a pastor and he said, no, this was in New York. And um, he said, no, we're not interested. She said, I'll mail them out myself. And when she got back 125 responses, she didn't know what she was going to do to keep up with them all. It's not always like that. I don't want to falsely represent this. That's an average of 10. So where somebody gets 12, somebody else gets eight. If someone gets 20, someone gets less. Uh, but when we were told by a pastor in Central California, they mailed them out in the wine country and got back three and a half per thousand, we said, these are good. This is something, this is a way you can grow your church. And the second, second thing I want to tell you, because I'm only telling you two and not three, because three, you'd think I've been going a long time. And I know what you guys do to guys who go late. <laughs> Listen, by the way, I had representatives of the Cameron DeVasia Defense League <laughs> come to me as a delegation today. Now, I wasn't knocking Cameron. The guy that I was told went about 3 a.m. two nights ago. I was just feeling liberated because I figured the guy preached so long, I can just preach till I'm hoarse and I still won't go that long. So I felt like I was in a happy place. But the Cameron DeVasia Defense League came to me. The Cameron DeVasia Anti-Defamation League came to me. And they said, oh, he got started late. Yeah, brother. Yeah. What, a, what a lily-livered excuse. Got started late. I said, well, he can't have got started at 8.30. They said he got started at 8.15. Do you know what the time is right now? They say that history never repeats. I'm afraid it does. So the second, second thing I want to tell you is this. My wife, who's sitting down here, my wife, uh, Melissa Bradshaw, who is a graduate of Fletcher Academy. Uh, how about that? We have some Fletcher Academy people here. Mm -hmm. Actually, they're most outstanding graduate of all time, as a matter of fact, and certainly the most beautiful graduate ever to come from Fletcher Academy. Sorry, the rest of you, but, you know. Uh, anyway, Melissa leads children's ministries at It Is Written, and that is evangelism. Now, she's produced something that you can use in an evangelistic series. You, you know when you have a, an evangelistic meeting and you need a program for the kids, We've, we've created, Melissa has created something called Buried Treasure. It's outstanding. It's based on the gold standard Bible study for kids, the My Place with Jesus Bible Guides, which Melissa wrote and produced. It features some of the uh, Buried Treasure or uh, children's songs, 25 or so original scripture songs, and they're all fantastic. Melissa wrote 22. Our daughter wrote one. A friend's kid wrote one, and we stole one. That makes up 25. We didn't steal it, we borrowed. In fact, we tried to find out who wrote it. We tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, couldn't find out. We use it like, sorry. So if you wrote it, thanks. <laughs> thanks. So the songs are terrific. There's crafts and funny games and this and that and Bible study and children love it. And it's brand new and it's fresh and it looks great and it's really great. So keep that in mind if you're looking for something for a children's program. We've had people uh, uh, get a hold of that resource and do it at home. They say, we want to do this with our kids at home, and homeschoolers have used it. So anyway, that's buried treasure, an evangelism resource for kids. In addition to that, because what we believe is that 
connecting people with young people with Jesus is better than entertaining young people. Melissa has put together, what a great idea, Journey Through the Bible. It's a Bible reading plan for kids. And we incentivize it a little bit. At the end of the month, the kids finish their reading. They let us know. We send them the collectible stickers. I mean, this is back to the future. Mums and dads, get your children reading the Bible. It's the most exciting book they'll ever read. And they will love it. Sabbath school teachers, instead of just getting the kids in the door and sending them home and wondering why next week they haven't grown at all spiritually, get them onto buried treasure. They'll read four, five, six, seven, eight Bible verses a day. Uh, and, and they're suitable for the kids. Now love them. Kids will begin to grow. Feed them right. They'll grow and they'll grow strong. So two of the many things I could tell you about at uh, My Place with Jesus, our children's ministry, it is written, but one is Buried Treasure, an evangelism program for children, and a journey through the Bible, which is a Bible reading plan, and I'm very grateful for what Melissa is doing um, at It Is Written. Anyway, why don't we pray? And we will not look at the time again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're encouraged tonight. What a wonderful testimony we saw earlier. Uh, a gentleman named Pepe who described himself as the worst of the worst and you saw in him something that could be redeemed. And we thank you that you look on all of your children in the same way. We are truly, truly grateful. We've been encouraged tonight too with the focus on ASI to think about, about, about a ministry in the marketplace. And we are grateful. We're thankful tonight that we can spend a few moments thinking about it is written, ministry going to the world through television and radio and the internet and resources and training and children's ministry and so much else. We're thankful. We thank you for the work being done here in the Carolina Conference, a conference that is evangelistically focused, planting churches, revitalizing churches, uh, growing your kingdom. And so tonight in this beautiful place, right on the doorstep of the Sabbath, we are grateful for your presence with us. Would you speak to us tonight and bless us, we ask you. Uh, uh, somehow manage to hide this faulty human instrument so that Jesus can accomplish something for his kingdom, something meaningful in our hearts and lives. We pray, thanking you in Jesus' name. Please say with me, amen. I want to tell you I am especially encouraged by this year's camp meeting theme, Seeking His Face, for essentially... Our camp meeting theme is a brief synopsis of the essence of the Christian faith. To be a Christian is to seek his face. So what are we talking about here? Seeking his face. We are contemplating the idea of actually and intentionally looking for Jesus, not merely milling about hoping we might bump into him. We're not wishing that we would encounter Jesus unexpectedly. We are, we are wrestling with this idea of actively seeking. Our theme, our theme encompasses the idea of doing something intentional, calculated, premeditated. You, you, you seek Jesus here. That is something you do on on purpose to seek is to look for something to search for something to say to search is that too strong i don't think so we are actively seeking actively looking for actively searching for in this case the face of jesus and we could 
Think of people in the Bible who did that. The wise men who came from the east. Where is he that is born king of the Jews, they asked. We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. What's significant about that is that the star that the wise men saw was up there in the sky. It was not hidden below the tree line. It was not hidden around the, the dark side of some old storage building. Anyone could have seen that star. Everyone, I might say, did see the star, but only a few gave it any notice, even though that star was placed there deliberately by God as the fulfillment of a prophecy made by a rascal named Balaam many hundreds of years before. Israel had one job, really, and that was to be ready for the advent of its Messiah, our Messiah. But when the prophecy was fulfilling in their very midst, even though the sacred oracles pointed them to this specific moment in time, they were totally oblivious to what was going on in the sky and to what was going on in a little village named Bethlehem just a couple of miles away, when it should have been front and center in their minds. The birth of the Messiah was something about which they had absolutely no clue. Now, of course, there were many others who sought Jesus, and we'll get to some of them. But what's interesting about our camp meeting theme is that it states not merely that we are seeking Jesus, but that we are seeking his face. You read that. You read that in the camp meeting advertising and the literature and so on. And you don't really stop to think about it because it's just a phrase that we use. We're seeking his face. It's like being washed in the blood. We just accept that. If you were a non-Christian, you might, you might look quizzically when somebody uses a statement like that. We're seeking his face. But if you think that through, that's, that's simply another way of saying we are seeking his presence. We are actively looking for, searching for the presence of Jesus. And surely that would mean looking to be in the presence of Jesus, looking to spend time in the presence of Jesus. We must be looking to experience the presence of Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, here is our challenge. We live in a world that demands our attention and that conspires against faith in God. Without wanting to get political, it'd be so easy to say something and be branded as political. Don't want to do that. But we're living in a world now where down is up and up is down, and nobody seems to question that. We're living in a world now where the strangest things not only happen but are promoted, yea, verily, they are accepted. The strangest thing. And so this world, this world is a world that is mired in the great controversy. Now, I'm going to suppose that you have read the book of Revelation or much of it. And that book tells us that the dragon, who? The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seat, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The devil is at war with the church. Peter wrote that your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. 
You are in his crosshairs. You, you have a target on you. Maybe it is a cross-shaped target. The devil hates you and your children and your grandchildren, hates your pastor, hates your church, wants to see us all gone. We exist in that milieu, you understand. That's where we find ourselves. The dragon, the devil, was wroth, angry with the woman, and the woman is the church. The woman is the church. Let me share something from my experience. I was, I was not yet a member of the church. I was living on what for me then was the other side of the world, living in London, England, and I attended a church in the center of the city, just a couple of blocks up from Piccadilly Circus, wonderful church at the time, uh, wonderful. And I got in that church and I looked around and I thought, well, look at all these people. They got one foot on the sea of glass and one foot on a banana peel. They are the most sanctified people that I could ever even imagine. The pastor says, let's turn in our Bible to the book of Zechariah. They turn there like that. I didn't even know there was a book of Zechariah. It's like magic. Now, now let's sing a hymn. Everybody's son, like, by the way, the singing tonight, fantastic. You know what? I don't mean to get on anybody's case. We don't need new music. We just need the music that we do to be done well. And everybody will love that. No one can argue with how you sang tonight. That was beautiful, and it touched everybody's heart here. And so everybody sang, and it was time to pray, and they prayed. And the pastor, when he prayed, actually sounded like he knew the person he was talking to. It was fantastic. And I thought I was, I would never been closer to heaven, and that was probably true. And then I realized, well, there's some funny things going on around here. Because I have a friend in the church, and every time a pretty girl walks by, he had a, have you ever seen the way an owl can turn its head? <laughs> this brother, I swear to you, was part owl. <laughs> and then we had a fellow over here, Brazilian guy, who turned out he was running around on his wife. And I thought, hang on, that, that never even happened in the Catholic church that I attended, at least not that I knew of. And then, oh, and it got worse. The young lady teaching the Sabbath school lesson, she was obviously a feminist, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing. Turned out she was a lesbian, and I wondered, what about that? I thought, that, didn't seem, that didn't seem right. Well, the yeah, church dealt with some of these things as it moved by. Don't worry. I wondered if somehow I got the directions wrong, if God had sent me to the wrong place. I thought, hold on a second. I came out of a church that didn't have half of these problems, at least not to the naked eye, and these people are misfits and dysfunctional, some of them, and it shouldn't be that way. And I think it's true. It shouldn't be that way, but we're all sinful, and we're broken, and we're hurting, and so you get some of that. And God showed me Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. He said, John, I have something to tell you. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, and it made sense then. Of course, we are going to see some challenges in our midst because the devil is at the top of his game. He's seeking to pick people off. Never has the world been more sinful, in modern times at least. So ladies and gentlemen, if you see discouraging things in the church, don't get mad. Just understand that an enemy has done this. Isn't that right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. You can look with compassion on the sinful folks who aren't nearly as holy as you. Instead of looking down your nose and being judgmental, you can say, there but for the grace of God go I. We are living in, in, in 
delicate times, in stressful times, the devil is angry. And why is he angry? Well, we read it. Because the remnant of her seed, God's remnant in earth's last days, keep the commandments of God. The devil hates that. He does not want you or anybody else faithfully following God. Doesn't want you taking the Ten Commandments seriously. He doesn't want that. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. And we struggle to understand how Christians of other stripe will read the Ten Commandments and see nine. Or we'll take the Fourth Commandment and say, it's okay that we scrambled that one around. We battle with that. We'll let God deal with that. And we'll share our faith gently and kindly, I would hope. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Paul wrote, love is the fulfilling of the law because love leads to obedience. Love for sin leads to compromise. Love for the world leads you to look at the will of God with less respect. Had a dear friend one day and she said, it is my mission to show others, that's non-Christians, that we are just the same as them. Don't say amen. Because I want to tell you, based on the authority of Scripture, we are not just the same as them. We have been redeemed. We have been, to coin a phrase, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We have encountered Jesus. We have surrendered our hearts. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people, not weirdos, but purchased, peculiar. Jesus is the difference maker. Can you say amen? Surely he is. The devil is angry because here's a group of people who have given their all and they keep the Ten Commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, the law of God is important. Sin is deadly. It leads to death. We should not broker any kind of happy peace deal with sin. It needs to go. It's what nailed Jesus to a cross. You know that obeying God's law doesn't make you a legalist. It makes you a Christian. We should not have to explain that to one another. We love God. We are drawn to God by faith. Jesus then lives his life in us and he leads us to walk in his pathway because he has our hearts. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk here, but I just will because why not? It is easy to talk to Seventh-day Adventists about keeping the commandments of God till we, because we all agree with that, don't we? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We all agree with that, don't we? We all agree with that, don't we? But do we all agree with that at 1245 on Sabbath afternoon when we're running off to Shoney's? Do we? No, we don't. No, we don't. That's not progressive. That's sin. That's sin. Just as. And if you don't like me telling you that, well, I'm really glad because evidently the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, if I don't tell you, your pastor's probably too scared to tell you. And, and, and ordinarily we don't talk about this at camp meeting because who in the world wants to out themselves and sound like some old-fashioned fuddy-duddy, but I love you. And I want to see you saved. And I'm not telling you you're lost. But I'm telling you that if you keep on going down that road, there's a pretty fair chance you will be. We are Seventh-day Adventists, right? 
And people say, what's the difference between us and you? And our answer is, well, what are the similarities? Let's talk about the similarities first. Because we are so like you Methodists. We're so like you Baptists. We are so like you Pentecostals. We've got so much in common. That's all true. But the point of difference is the seven-day Sabbath. that We understand it's going to be a test down in the end of time. And if you are choosing to fail the test now, tell me how you're suddenly going to straighten up and pass the test down at the end of time. No, we're not saved by Sabbath keeping. Never. No one ever was. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the only way. But if you love me, he said, you'll keep my commandments. You're not going to dumb them down. You're not going to treat them cheaply. Ladies and gentlemen, let's show the world. More importantly, let's show Jesus and let's show ourselves that we take this thing seriously. We believe in commandment keeping, not commandment breaking. I'm willing to say amen. I want to encourage you to treat God's law with the sacredness it deserves. The devil is behind all of the, all of the, all of the watering down of God's law. People keep the commandments of God. The devil hates that. Of course he does. But there's something else in that verse. And I, I kind of easily brushed over it. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed that keep the commandments of God. Now think, think very carefully, please. That keep the commandments of God. The very next word in that verse is what? That keep the commandments of God, that's one, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You have read Revelation 19 and verse 10. And so you know that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. The devil is angry with the remnant church because we are in possession of the end time manifestation of the gift of prophecy. The devil hates the idea of God's people reading and listening to and being guided by the spirit of prophecy. My brother, my sister, I would appeal to you, don't go soft on the spirit of prophecy. Can you say amen? This is no time for that. We are living in earth's last days and God specifically gave us special guidance, special guidance. We wanna read those books given to us by God. Read the Conflict of the Ages series. Read Patriarchs and Prophets. It'll grow your faith. Read Prophets and Kings. It'll blow your mind. Read the Desire of Ages. You will look straight into the face of Jesus. Read Acts of the Apostles. You will be energized for evangelism. Read the Great Controversy and you will see this world through new eyes. You want to read these books? They will change your life. They will draw you to the heart of Jesus. They will provide insight. They will reveal Christ and strengthen your heart read the testimonies to the church it says on the front cover it's to the church don't answer out loud but when was the last time you even held one of those books in your hand let me do a little uh, uh, unsolicited piece of advertising for the ABC if you don't have the testimonies at home before camp meeting's over stop by the abc and buy them i hope they run out if they do give them your name phone number and credit card number and say send me a set when you order more in 
You will read your story in there a thousand times. I, I try to read, I'm reading my way through the testimonies again. I'm, I'm reading small chunks, but consistently. And I sit in my office the other day and, and, and I thought, man, I don't have time for this. I'd like to read just a few pages. And, and some voice said to me, it had to be the voice of God. You need to read that today. No, 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 I don't have time. You need to read that today. Okay, okay. And I knew I was going to read something there. And I opened up that thing and I started reading. Oh, have mercy. It wasn't written to me, but it was speaking to me. And I said, ouch. I needed to read that because it's true. And you wanted to communicate something to me. And so I'm thankful to God. Read them. Read Christ's object lessons. You won't find a more profoundly theological book than that. Steps to Christ, greatest book on righteousness by faith outside the Bible. Read Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Read Education. Ladies and gentlemen, God inspired the writing of these books for you. And even if you're not a church member, God wants you to know, grab a hold of these books. Read them. They will grow your faith in God and help prepare you to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. The devil hates the idea of us reading those books. Hates them. And then we even hear voices in the church. Oh, they're really not that important, those books. Oh, yes, they are. Someone, someone, someone's going to say to someone here tonight, I cannot believe this guy's stuck in the mud talking about reading them old books. Someone's going to say that. Surely. Friend of God, thoughts and comments like that were never inspired by God. Not even once and I don't want you saying I would rather read the Bible like you've never read anything else it's not a matter of either or this is both and you can read more than one thing in your life you understand surely you understand that don't make the mistake of neglecting the Bible of course not but God has wanted to guide us safely to the other shore and he gave us this special gift because it's for our good and then along comes a scholar. I love it, man. It's like clockwork. Every so often there'll be another one come along, say the same old dumb stuff that was said decades and decades ago. Oh, that great controversy? She was just influenced by the anti-Catholic sentiment of her time. No, she wasn't. She was influenced by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. You've been influenced by the anti-truth sentiment breathed on you by the devil. We don't need scholars like that. In fact, that's not scholarship. Scholarship doesn't contradict what the Bible teaches. That's just foolishness. That's all that is. So when a scholar comes to you, and there are not many of them will do that, but every so often another one comes along, scholar comes to you sneering on the life and ministry of Ellen White, you know that the best thing you can do is run in the other direction. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a gift given to us by God, and we ought not neglect that. Now, don't get, it, don't get me wrong. I'm not campaigning to have someone canonized I'm simply saying be sure that you allow that special gift given you by God to occupy appropriate importance in your life and in your experience don't neglect that gift and by the way do yourself a favor and your kids a favor teach your children to read the spirit of prophecy and encourage them to do so kids are in a life and death battle today it is an absolute zoo out there and you know that so encourage your kids and by the way don't be a crank don't be an extremist and say oh we did this because Ella White said so you don't want to you don't want to be that in days gone by we we, we kind of pressed a little too hard with us and we drove people away and today we're not pressing at all and so they're just running away 
Encourage your kids. Read together from the desire of ages. Read something from the great controversy. Read something from Acts of the Apostles. It's important. And, and please, don't take things out of context. Be balanced. Now, I was reading the other day, and I read where Ellen White had written, uh, my sister, what did she say? I had this ready to go. She said, eat less than you do. Now, she did not say that to me, I promise you. That's not what I read. That was for somebody else. But you could read that and say, well, listen, I have to take that. She's speaking to me. That's, I need to, maybe you don't. Remember, time and place. Who was being addressed? Who was being spoken to? What were the circumstances? We don't need any more extremists in the church. We got more than our fair share. So keep it straight. Keep it in the Bible. Keep it in the spirit of prophecy and be guided by God. Can you say amen? We're in a battle for our souls. It's a tough battle and it's intensifying. We want to grow our faith in God because the devil is playing for keeps. He is serious about all this. Why don't I add another thought while I'm at it? Let me add this. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant. I remember sitting in a minister's meeting. Not in this union. Not in this time zone. And I was sitting there and I heard a young hotshot minister at the table next door. He was a guy that the conference had brought in because he was, he, was the, he was the next big thing. And I couldn't help overhearing him when he said, he said, oh yeah, you know, I, I believe, I believe what the church teaches. That was a, that was a relief. Um, but then he said, but you know what? I just don't believe that we are the remnant. He said, I don't believe that. And I heard him say that, and I said to myself, he will soon be out of the church. Unfortunately, I was right. Last I heard, I asked a friend of his, he's now living with a, 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 there's a name for these guys. He's living with a Brahmin, a New Age spiritualist teacher. He's as far from God as he possibly can be. My friend said, I had to cut the conversation short. He said, I just couldn't handle all the swearing on the other end of the telephone. We have to understand something. This shouldn't make us arrogant, shouldn't make us proud, but God has raised up a remnant. That's to be the repository of God's end time message, the three angels' messages. Now, that message is going to go to the world. The whole world. Now, you can go to any other Christian church in the land, and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Genuine Christians who love Jesus with all their heart, but not the remnant. God has given to us the three angels' messages. He has given to us a work that he hasn't committed to any other church. He's given to us the message of prepare, uh, the, the work of preparing a people to be ready for the return of Jesus. Now, how's that going? Okay, before we start congratulating ourselves, there's 20-odd million of us and 8 billion people in the world. All right. I, I had this discussion once with a lady in our church. We were, we were asked to rent our church to a Sunday church. And she said, she said, Pastor, we would be allowing Babylon in our church. I said, hey, let's open our Bibles together. We went to Revelation chapter 18, and God said, come out of her. I said, they're God's people. She said, okay, I'm in. 
I, I, I vote yes. So it's not us and them. There are Christians all across the landscape. But friend, God has called us to a special work. He has commissioned us to a work in his wider vineyard that he's given to nobody else. I'd love to tell you exactly how the gospel is going to go to the end, uh, go, go to the world before the end of time. I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I don't have that roadmap. I just know it will. I've got some ideas, but I just know it will. By the way, COVID, what did COVID teach you? COVID taught you that something no one had ever heard of can be known by everybody everywhere in the world in about six weeks. Now, is anybody wondering how the gospel is going to go to the world? No, no, no. We see it. I conduct evangelistic meetings with some regularity, not as much today as I used to. We would teach about the mark of the beast, and people would say to us, I see what you're saying. I get it. I even believe it. And then they'd say, but how is that going to happen? Since COVID, we preach about the mark of the beast. Nobody asks that question. Everybody knows you can take an issue and make it known globally, virtually overnight. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations and then shall the end come. It is going to happen. God has given us that work. He differentiates us in that respect. We are distinctive. We must never forget that God has given us a special work to do. Can you say amen? amen. All right. And so I wonder if we can consider this. The only thing that can keep us in this great controversy is not a thing, but a man. And that man is Jesus. We want to be seeking his presence, seeking his face. We can't get by without Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So I wonder if our camp meeting theme is encouraging us to seek, to search for, to be proactive about living lives of commitment before God. Can we be grown up enough to acknowledge that God would have us take seriously the tenets of our faith? I think he would want that. It was Jesus who said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The tendency today is to be swept along with the culture in, in, in which we, the culture we live in the midst of. You know, as a kid, I used to go to the beach with some frequency. We'd get in the ocean and we'd swim around and we'd play around out there. Then we'd come out of the ocean and invariably, we were a couple of hundred yards down from where we got in. You know that happens, right? You get into the ocean and you drift. You get carried along in the current and you don't even know it happens. It happens imperceptibly. And by virtue of being in the world, we can drift today imperceptibly. When you drift, you get further from Jesus. You become more like the world without even realizing that, looking less like a Christian and more like every other person who professes no faith in God at all. Now, maybe two dozen times or more, I checked, more than two dozen times, the Bible encourages us to seek the Lord. In those words, seek the Lord. First Chronicles 16, verse 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. And that's that, 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 the same real estate is occupied by Psalm 105 and verse 4. It says the same thing. God is urging us to be proactive about searching out his presence and spending time there. 
Time in the presence of God will change you, will mold you. We cannot be Christians without taking time to pray and read, without being active in ministry, sharing our faith. This is a real thing. Now, Moses gave us an example. Unwittingly, Moses went up into the mountaintop with God. He spent 40 days and 40 nights there. It came to pass, Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 34 says, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain, didn't know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. Sorry, it was Aaron actually. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. He had sought God's face and been in his presence until Moses had done speaking with them he put a veil on his face. Moses, you've been in God's presence. You are shining too brightly for us now. You have to veil that. We can't even look on you. What a thing. He'd been in God's presence. Didn't you read in the New Testament? They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It makes a difference, not just to your countenance, but it makes a difference to your heart, you understand. He'd been there on the mountaintop. He had been in the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to give you a verse and then run over to the book of Revelation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 13. And we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, so that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was fading away. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And by the way, we can talk about rights and wrongs until the cows come home. We can. How to do this and whether God wants that and what the Bible says about this. But nothing will make that effective in our experience unless we are spending time face to face with God. That's where transformation comes from. And my brothers and sisters, we are to be transformed before Jesus returns. Yea, verily, we can know that that will be a reality in our experience. Because in Revelation chapter 18, where we read about the fourth angel, it says, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, listen, and the earth was lightened with his glory. What this is telling us is that before Jesus comes back, the earth will be illuminated with a manifestation of the character of God. It will be seen in God's people. This is what God is calling us to. Not to be just like everybody else. Not to be as close to the world as we can possibly be. But to distinguish ourselves from everything else because we have been with Jesus. It must change us. It must transform us. It will if we take that time. We are to seek his face. Not because it's a good religious idea. Not because it's simply a slogan we put on the advertising this year. But because that was prayed about and thought through by people who want all of us to be transformed as we spend time in the presence of Almighty God. Can you say amen? In God's presence, Daniel fell down as dead. God's presence will cure us of self-confidence and self-satisfaction. 
When you see God in his greatness and his majesty, everything changes. Daniel said, my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. There's a Bible verse that says, read the word to your children. Rising up early, put it on your doorposts and between your eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that, that's the word of God. Listen, you won't drive to the post office without putting your seatbelt on. Good idea. But you will start your day without reading the Bible? Without fortifying your mind with the presence of God? When did you last pray that God would fill you with his Holy Spirit? If it wasn't this morning, then it's way too late. Think about what you're doing. You are going through life telling God, I'm good. You don't need to bother sending your Holy Spirit into my heart. I can take care of this. No, you cannot. We need Jesus desperately. And God has promised he will give the Holy Spirit to us in answer to our simple request. We just ask and he will do it. God is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to us than we are willing to, go, to give good gifts to our children. Friend of God, we are so close to the return of Jesus. So close. We don't have time to dilly-dally around anymore. We got to seek his face while there is still time. Receive of his Holy Spirit. Connect with God through the word. Be strengthened through prayer. And be certain that Jesus is living his life in us. It is the presence of God we need. Hey, you didn't expect to come to camp meeting and have somebody in the evening meeting tell you something as basic as look after your devotional life. Take time to pray every day. There's a reason you lose your temper. It's not because of your father's DNA being in, in, in your life. It's because you are not spending time in the word. Is that simple? There's a reason your mind wanders off onto unholy ground. That's because you're not praying. Friend, we are talking about going to heaven and inhabiting mansions that Jesus is building for us. And we'll discuss the chiastic structure of the book of Revelation and we'll become self-proclaimed experts on the sanctuary. All that's okay, but if you are not praying, who are you fooling? Nobody at all. All these cranky folks in church who want to argue about everything. Ask them what they're hiding. There's a reason people act like the devil. It's not because, oh, that's just old Bob. He's just like that. No, old Bob is not praying. And old Bob is not reading his Bible. And old Bob thinks he's going to go to heaven just like he is. He's going to wake up on the judgment day mighty surprised. Friend, the last sands are falling through the hourglass of time. And you know that I don't know how much time we actually have left, but I think we all agree it's not much. And by the way, consult the, 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 the date of birth on your driver's license. And in all this talk about the return of Jesus being soon, it's soon no matter how you cut it for most of us, because we don't have awfully long. Jesus is appealing to us tonight to allow him to have our hearts so he can own us and redeem us and save us and prepare us for eternity. We can be doing nothing that's more important than seeking the face of God. It's God's presence we need, more of his presence. Did you ever think about the story where Jesus entered the temple? 
went to the temple, turned over the money changers' tables, had this cord he waved in his hand, get these things hence, and wonder of wonders, they did what he said. Did you ever wonder why, when he wasn't big and tall like Saul, he wasn't big and strong like Samson, he was just ordinary man. And in he went, and he cleansed the temple. There's a lesson for us in this, because I'm going to read to you a little passage from the Desire of Ages. No, I won't read the passage. I'll just get to the point. It says at the end of the passage, this is page 158, officers of the temple, speculating priests, brokers and cattle traders with their sheep and oxen rush from the place. Now, this is really interesting. Why would the sinners flee the temple? They were making money in there. I, I wouldn't dare you to, but someone might dare you to try this in Las Vegas. Go in there and turn over the roulette wheel and turn over the blackjack table. Get these things hence. They'll get you hence. <laughs> Why was Jesus able to get away with it? Well, we just read about various groups of people. They rushed from the place with the one thought of escaping from, listen to this, the condemnation of his presence. It was his presence that drove them from there, which says to me that if the presence of Jesus can drive sinners from the temple, then if my body is the temple, if my heart is a temple, the presence of Jesus must drive the sin from my life. I need the presence of Jesus. I gotta take time with Jesus and Jesus will fix me up and straighten me out. I want you to think of some of those who sought Jesus' presence, those who sought his face. When blind Bartimaeus learned that Jesus was nearby, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They tried to silence him, but the man cried even louder. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The man said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Wherever Jesus went, I don't know how long, but he was Bartimaeus, not blind Bartimaeus, but 2020 vision Bartimaeus, who was healed and received precisely what he wanted because he sought the face of Jesus. Then there was the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. What's interesting is that Jesus was in a crowd of people all bumping into him as he went. And he stopped and he said, who touched me? Strangest thing you'll ever hear. They even said, Master, there's a whole crowd of people. Everybody's touching you. No, no, no. I perceive that virtue has gone from me. Woman had been sick 18 years. Doctors couldn't help her. She sought the face of Jesus and she would never be the same again. Come on and say amen. This is what Jesus can do. Only Luke chapter 19 tells the story of Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector and an enemy of his own people because he was an agent for the occupying Roman power. Bible says he sought to see Jesus who he was and couldn't because of the crowd, because he was a little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Man, you can't roll out of bed half an hour early to read your Bible. And here's Zacchaeus wearing his, I don't know, uh, what's that? Uh, I can't remember the designer. We'll call him Christian Dior. Wearing his Christian Dior clothes. I can't see Jesus. So I am going to climb a tree. Not a dignified thing for the man to do. 
but he had to see Jesus climb the tree. Got a bird's eye view. And Jesus called Zacchaeus down. He said, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus was transformed. He sought the face of Jesus. Jesus knew what was going on. He met with Zacchaeus and this life was transformed. 10 lepers. If you had leprosy, you were an outcast. You were hopeless. It was a death sentence. But 10 lepers came to Jesus and they said, we want you to help us. That was bold in a time that lepers were supposed to sequester themselves away. And all 10 of them were healed. One, a Samaritan, came back to thank Jesus. The other nine went in their own way, you understand. Friend of God, if you will seek his face, you will receive healing, maybe physically, definitely spiritually. If you will seek his face, you will be transformed. If you seek his face, he will be found of you. It will show in your life and in your experience, there may be something missing in your life. And it's as simple as praying and reading the Bible and inviting Jesus to fill your heart with his presence. He will do it. It will cost you nothing. And he will do it always and every time. Friend, God wants more from us, more for us, than the highest human thought can think. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. If we seek his face and ask that God would touch us and change our hearts. Imagine, imagine winning the, the Powerball Mega Millions lottery and having that ticket worth tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars in your pocket and deciding that you wouldn't cash it out. I mean, no one would be able to understand that. You have everlasting life in your hands. All you've got to do is cash it out. Simplest thing in the world. And thank God Jesus never asked us to climb a mountain or swim an ocean in order to be saved. Just surrender. Allow Jesus to live his life in you and everything will change. Philippians 1 and verse 6. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I should have spoken more about this tonight. I'll pick it up tomorrow night. We miss righteousness by faith. Too many of us still believe we've got to somehow work our way to heaven or prove ourselves to God when the fact of the matter is we invite Jesus into our heart and let him do his thing. Philippians 2 verse 13, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do for, tell me, his good pleasure. God will do the work in your life that you cannot do. You think you are hopeless, you are not. You think you're bad, you are right. Jesus is good, however. You are weak and God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I could never, you are right, but Jesus can and he will if only you ask and if only you permit. Friend, isn't it time that we allow Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts, to remake us? Are we seeking his face? You need to grab hold of the throne of God and like Jacob say, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'll not let you go until you give me a new mind and a new heart. I will not let you go until you make me an agreeable human and not a disagreeable human. He's coming back soon. And, 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 and we may say, we may say, I'm in a saving relationship with Jesus. Great. But there are so many of us who don't have that confidence. There were five wise virgins. They had the, the oil. There were five foolish. They did not. But all 10 were asleep. And it might be that some of us 
are sleepwalking to the second coming. No, God has better for us than that. If we will seek his face, he will be found of us. There's no question about it. And he'll do in your life what you could never, ever, ever do in your own life. Listen, I want to close by reading a statement from the Desire of Ages because it's just so powerful. And, and in here is the essence of the Christian experience. Let me read this to you. It's from page 668, and then we close with prayer. It says, all true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And here it is. And if we consent, remember those four words. And if we consent, he will so identify our thoughts and aims with his. So blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will. That when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Oh, come on. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of God, through communion with him, through seeking his face, sin will become hateful to us. Man, there's the, there's the experience of the gospel right there. If we consent, if we allow, permit, if we agree, God will do a work in our life that will prepare us fully and completely for all eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't we major in the majors now and seek his face and receive his spirit and be transformed so that on that great day when Jesus comes back, gravity will lose its hold on the soles of our feet and we will go up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can you say amen tonight? All right, let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the Sabbath that has come. We are seeking your face now. I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would step into our lives more fully, that you give us more of your Holy Spirit. Attend to us with a greater amount of angels. Somehow cause the world to lose its luster. And those things that we've been pursuing that have been damaging us spiritually, where we've had our priorities out of whack, I'm praying that we make our number one priority Jesus and that we will want your grace and we will want your will and we will want your pleasure more than anything else that we could even imagine. So Father, tonight we're gonna to go from here believing that we belong to you and you belong to us. We thank you tonight for Jesus. We look forward to meeting again tomorrow morning. Bless us until then, we pray. Thank you for saving us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Uh, they've asked me to preach the same sermon twice. So I have to. <laughs>